why don't you take your Bibles out and go ahead and find your place in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I'm going to go ahead and start reading verse 11. It said, then he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Verse 14, but he, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put on a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what this thing meant. Verse 27, and he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandments at any time. And yet you have never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours come, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you kill the fatted calf for him. Verse 31, and he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It is right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was found, was lost, and is found. Now, <clears throat> I've been doing a series on the fear of God for the last two Sundays, and I'm going to uh, conclude that this morning. Uh, and in that series, I've pointed out that the fear of God is actually the very soul of godliness. Uh, when we see this subject in Scripture, it, it's, it's found throughout the entire Bible. And uh, the first week, I, I focused on the fact that it was the predominant theme and the predominant thought that we find in Scripture. The uh, fear of God is something that I believe is lacking in the modern day church. Um, however, it was one of the attributes that our forefathers had, because when they referred to a Christian in the days of our forefathers, they would say he's a God fearing man. But we don't hear that very much anymore because we it seems like the modern day church, our emphasis is on so many other things. You know, we try to be seeker sensitive and we don't want to talk about sin and we don't want to talk about hell and we don't want to talk about things that would cause people to um, retract from the gospel. We want to try to talk to people about things that's going to allure them to the gospel. Um, the Bible warns us about that. Since in the last days they shall uh, heap to themselves teachers having itching ears you know, and, and we're seeing that walked out uh, real quickly. Could you turn these spotlights off for me? They're shining right in my eyes up there. Thank you. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> so the fear of God is something that is lacking. Uh, I've, I came to three very obvious conclusions. Uh, I'm going to really oversimplify this review. Uh, the first conclusion is a true Christian, he will have the fear of God. Simply. If you're a Christian, you're going to have this fear of God. Proverbs says that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. So just like the ABCs is the beginning of all learning, 
1 through 10 is the beginning of all mathematics. The fear of God is the chief part of all learning. If you lose the fear of God, you will not grow in the things of God. Can you hear me, church? You have to have the fear of God. The second conclusion is the more you increase in the fear of God, the more you're going to increase in God's favor, in his peace, in his edification, in his comfort. We see that in Acts chapter 9. It says the churches throughout all Judea and Galatia and Samaria, they had peace. They were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So God's favor is with you as you grow in the fear of God. The third conclusion is to be ignorant of the meaning of the fear of God, is to be ignorant of the basic and essential doctrine of revealed Christian faith. If you're going to be a God-fearing Christian, you need to know what that means. A lot of people have attached all kinds of meanings to what it means to fear God. Some have rejected the meanings of what it means to fear God. So if we're going to really <clears throat> grow as a Christian in the fear of God, we need to know what that means. We need to grow in grace and in knowledge. Now, last week I talked about what it means to fear God, the meaning of the fear of God. And we found that there was two common uses of the word the Bible uses for fear. It's the same word, but it has two different meanings. One of them is to be afraid of God, having terror or dread. It's like the nine-year-old that rounds the corner and he knocks the sandwich out of the hand of the 14-year-old neighborhood bully. And this nine-year-old is terrified. He's afraid because he's aware of the threat that this, this uh, stronger person uh, poses towards him. The second meaning of the word fear is veneration and honor, respect, reverence, and awe. Take that same nine-year-old, carry him to the White House in 1986, and he is invited into Ronald Reagan's office. Suddenly, he is, his breath becomes short, and he begins to sweat, and he's, he's frightened but it's a different fright. He's not afraid that he's going to get beat up. He's afraid and he has a fear because of the reverence and the awe that is due this person of prominence. So the difference is one is based on dread because of the harm that the object of fear can bring to you. The other one is based on recognition of the dignity and worth that is due the object of fear. Also last week, we ask the question, is it right and proper to be afraid of God? We look at Adam in the, in the Garden of Eden when he disobeyed God. He partook of the tree. God told him, you're going to die if you do this. And so the Bible says he went out and hid himself because he was afraid. And so, yes, the answer is it is right to be afraid of God. One uh, Bible scholar said it is the very essence of impiety to not be afraid of God when there is a reason. If Adam would have went skipping up to God and acting as if nothing was wrong, it would have shown the very essence of the hardness of his heart, the searing of his conscience, and the disrespect and insult that he would be showing God. Anytime our actions are a blatant, deliberate violation of God's law, then it's right to be afraid of God. Because if you are deliberately violating God's law, trust me, God's judgment sooner or later will come to your doorstep. Are you hearing me, church? Yeah. If we deliberately violate God's law, we concluded by saying this is true not only for the unbeliever. We know the world is going to stand before the judgment seat of God. It's called the great white throne judgment. Nobody at the great white throne judgment enters into heaven. You understand? They all go to hell, every one of them. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ if you're a Christian, that your deeds will be judged whether they were good or evil. It's not a question of whether we go to heaven or hell. It's a question of the, the reward that you will receive. You don't want to stand before the judgment seat of, uh, of the white throne judgment. And a lot of people will stand in terror before the judgment seat of Christ. But this also applies to the believer. Hebrews 10, we read that. It says, if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He which despised Moses' law without mercy under two, witness, two or three witnesses, uh, he, he died without mercy. Verse 29 says, of how much sore punishment suppose you shall he be found worthy that is who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified 
So you understand, this is talking about the believer, the Christian who has willfully sinned. Of how much sore punishment, suppose you he would be found worthy. Wherewith he, he counted the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of God. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongs unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So that's just the review on the last two weeks. We've looked at the predominance of this throughout the whole Bible. We've looked at what it means. Today, I want us to look at the conduct and the consequences of walking and living in the fear of God. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, Lord, this subject is so critical to the body of Christ. And Lord, I almost stand wanting to apologize for the kingdom of God, for the body of Christ, because I see this lacking and it's been slipping and dwaning over the years, Lord. Uh, God, there was even a season in my life and in the life of my wife, Jeannie, that we got involved with a ministry that was so focused on, on money and prosperity and, and being your buddy and that. And Lord, that it was so disrespectful to you. And I, I just want to repent for the body of Christ and, and say, Lord, somehow bring us back to the place where we walk in reverence and honor and awe and respect of you. Where we fear you, God, like that little nine-year-old boy feared this person of respect and awe. And God, if we have sinned, Lord, may we be afraid of you, Lord. May it drive us back to our knees and back to the foot of the cross and bring us to a place of repentance so we can be in right relationship to you, God, so we would be drawn to you and not repelled from you. So, God, this morning, open our ears that we hear, our eyes that we can see, God. Open our heart that we will receive, God. And most of all, our will that we will engage it, Lord, to live according to your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. Now... <clears throat> We understand the two meanings, to be afraid of God, to have dread and terror, the fear. That drives us away from God. Adam had sinned against God, and because of that, it made him draw away from God. He was afraid. He was ashamed. So he went out and hid himself. The prodigal son did the same thing. He was ashamed to go home to his father because he knew that he had sinned against his father. And so that kind of dread and that fear of what will happen to me, it causes us to draw away from God. <clears throat> Living in sin and rebellion, it makes us draw back and away from God because we're ashamed. To venerate God and to honor him, though, it actually draws us to God. If we respect God and we're living a life that's acceptable in his sight. Alex had a word from the Lord this morning. That sometimes we, we want to live for God, but we walk away from this place and we become a slave to our desires and to our sin because we have not really given it all to him. See, Jesus is our Savior if we've trusted him as our Savior. The most vile sinner in the world can say, Jesus, I, I, I want to be your child. Will you please forgive me and come into my heart and live? He becomes your Savior at that point in time. Do you understand this, church? But for him to become your Lord means you have to give it all to him. He becomes the Lord of my life. He controls every part of my life. And that's what we struggle with. And that's what she was talking about. We leave, but we, we don't serve him. We fall right back into some of the same old patterns because we have not given it all to him. And a lot of times it's because we don't fear him. We don't respect him. It's disrespectful to sin against God when you know better. That shows me you don't fear him in a way that you respect him. Therefore, you should be afraid of him because you're going to have to stand before him. But if we reverence him and we give it all to him and we show him honor and respect, that draws you to God into a relationship that's intimate. Let's take a dad and his children, all right? You got two kids, and they're totally different. One of them is very submissive, and, and he's, he's very honoring towards you. Everything you tell him to do, they strive to please you. The other one, every time, every time you tell them to do something, they're just defiant and rebellious. And when they grow up, that one doesn't want to be in your presence. They want to get away from you. They want to go out and do their own thing. But the other one still wants to have time with you and build a relationship with you. Which one of the two is going to have intimacy with the father. It's the one that's drawn to the father, not the one that rebels against the father. It's the same way with God. 
If we're rebelling against God and we're not giving it all to him, then we're, we're ashamed and we, we want to hide from God. But when we've given it all to him, it makes us long to be with him. We long to be in his presence. I desire to feel his touch. I desire to know him and to see his face and to hear his voice. That's why we come to church on Sunday. I look forward to being in the house of God on Sunday. I don't know about you. I, th I think you feel the same way. I, I, if I miss a Sunday, my gosh, it's like something is just wrong with my week. How many knows what I'm talking about? Man, I just, it's just something's messed up. I, I wasn't in the house of God Sunday with the people of God and in God's presence because I want to be with God. I want to be in his presence. I want to sing praises to him and pray to him and hear his word taught. Well, Adam didn't do that. He went out and hid himself. But we look at other people who were obedient to God. Abraham, the Bible says that he obeyed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And God called him his friend. So he had an intimate relationship with him because he was submitted and completely dedicated to God. Moses, Moses, he had actually a cloud come down and stand at the door of the temple. And the Bible says all of the houses of Israel stood in their tent and saw the cloud descend and stand in the door of the tabernacle. And it says, and God spoke to Moses face to face as one would speak to his friend. Are you hearing that, church? How would you like for God to come down and just, God showed me a vision of that one time. We, uh, uh, some of you may know Bob McClellan. How many knows Bob McClellan? He served on the board here. He came for many years. They moved to Richmond. He, Bob called me the other day. He and I went up to the mountains and went, went deer hunting, black powder season. And that mountain was up there, and I said, if I don't see a deer, if I don't see anything, it doesn't matter. But I'm going to be on the top of that mountain before this day is off. I just want to go up there. And I went up there, and it was like the coolest place. There was a path. It was like a, a what I call a hogback mountain. It was just a long, the peak of the mountain was long, and it was a path. Went right down the middle of it that the deer had made. And I'm walking down through there, and I like I was jumping deer all over the place. If you're a deer hunter, they, they bed on the top of the mountain. They feed at the bottom of the mountain. If you hunt in the morning, you want to be on the top of the mountain, they come up to bed, all right? If you're hunting in the evening, you hunt, well, I'll do a deer lesson later. But anyway, I was on top of this mountain. Well, in this vision, I saw that path on the top of that mountain. But I wasn't walking by myself. I was walking with my father. I couldn't see him, but his, I could, it was, he was there. And, and he was kneeling down. And he was showing me things and teaching me things. And, and we were tossing rocks and just walking and talking. And as we walked, this is the most awesome vision I've ever seen. As we walked, each side of the trail was lined with heavenly beings. And they were standing here like this as we walked between them. And as we walked by, each one would go and bow and just back away like that as we walked through. That was like cool, man. That's a cool vision, isn't it? And that's the way God is. He wants to walk with you and talk with you. But you've got to live in the fear of God to have that kind of experience. And that's what I want, man. I want to spend time with God. Moses was like that. David, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. The apostle Paul feared God. And God caught him up to the third heaven and showed him things that he could not even write down. John feared God, and he said, oh, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and God says, come up here. And he brought him to heaven, and he showed him the revelation. Man, he saw the city let down from heaven with all of the jewels and all of the beautiful stones and stuff. He saw the, the, the throne and the thunder and the lightning and the 24 elders and the angels all gathered around praising him, a sea of people worshiping God. He saw all of those things. And, 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 and God just revealed all of those beautiful things to him because he walked in the fear of God. Walking in this gives you an intimacy with God. It causes you to draw to him. Man, I want that, don't you? Whew, I don't want to draw back from God. Hebrews 10 says, now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draw back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Church, we shouldn't be drawing back from God. We should be walking in the fear of God. 
Now, we see these two examples personified in this parable that Jesus gave. Because he's talking about people that are lost and when they're found. And how we rejoice and how we celebrate. And so he starts telling this story about the prodigal son and his brother. Now, when we look at this, I want you to bear four things in mind. And I'm going to make these the four points of the sermon this morning. And then we're going to close. I hope you can take these away with you this morning. Number one. Be always be mindful of the presence of God. Because God's presence is here, but we're not always mindful. We don't walk as if we're in God's presence. Two, be aware of his expectations. Three, be wise in the choices that you make. And number four, you can be certain of the consequences that you will receive. So let's look at this parable. The prodigal son, I think it's called that unfairly. Because there's an older son that is overlooked. How many of you know a lot of times if you were the most faithful in the family, you get overlooked? That's true, isn't it? Sometimes you're a very faithful person in the church and you're always there and you're doing things. It seems like other people get recognized and sometimes you get overlooked. Isn't that true? And I think it's kind of unfair. The older son, he sort of gets uh, overlooked, but he was the more honorable son and really the one that we should be considering because we really should be more like him. In that he was honorable. Luke 15 verse 11. Read it with me. Then he said a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father. Father give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them. His livelihood. Do you realize both of them got their inheritance. In fact the older son got two thirds of the inheritance. Because the older child gets a double portion. He had a lot more money. He could have went out and blown and still had some to spare. But he didn't do that. They both had a choice to make. One of them made a good choice. The other one made a bad choice. And so it says in verse 13, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now let me ask you a question. Why did he go to a far country? He was afraid. He was afraid of his father. See, he had fear of his father, but it wasn't reverence and it wasn't respect. It was afraid of my dad because he knew if I go out here in our town and start blowing money on booze and wild women and doing this and doing that, my dad is going to take me to the city gate and I'm going to be stoned to death. So I got to get away from my dad so he doesn't know what I'm doing. He was afraid. Not a respectful fear, but the fear like Adam had. Afraid of his dad. I did a sermon called Slop on My Face on this passage of Scripture. How many of you remember that? Slop on my face. And it's talking about when the father saw him coming back, he ran out to meet him, not so much because he was so glad to see him, although that was a part of it, But he did that to save his life because a rebellious son was to be taken to the city gate and stoned to death. The elders would have stoned that boy if he had lived in his town and did the things that he was doing. The very fact that he would go and ask his father for his inheritance while he's still alive was the highest level of insult. Because you don't receive an inheritance while the father is alive. You receive that after he dies. So basically what he's saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead. Go ahead and give me my money. It was an insult. But because his father loved him, he gave it to him anyway. The elders would have stoned him. Deuteronomy 21, we read it last week, 19 to 21. Then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out to the elders of the city unto the gate of his place. And they shall say to the elders of the city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of the city shall stone him with stones that he die. So so shall they put evil away from among you and all Israel shall hear and fear. So he went away because he didn't want to be seen. Didn't want anybody to hear about what he was doing. Would have been ashamed. I want you to be mindful of the presence of God. Levi chapter, uh, Leviticus chapter 
19, verse 14. I want you to, I want you to see something here. Leviticus 19, 14. It says, thou Levitical laws, there's a whole lot of laws, but he, he throws this one in here, and I thought, man, that, that law just kind of slips by you if you don't really focus on what it's saying. He says, thou shalt not curse the death, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear thy God. I am the Lord. You'll not curse the death or put a stumbling block before the blind. Now, what's he talking about? If there's a blind man walking down and I, I stick my foot out and trip him, he doesn't know who did it. He can't get up and get angry at me. He doesn't know who to get angry at because he can't see what's going on, who did what, and he doesn't see. If there's a deaf man standing there, I can say all kind of vile, disgusting things about him. I can cuss him out, and he doesn't hear a thing. So he's saying, don't do that to the deaf, and don't do that to the blind. But what is it really talking about? He said, instead, fear God. Now, the definition of the word fear there is show reverence and respect and honor to God. Because this blind man may not see you. This deaf man may not hear you. But God sees and hears everything. Yes. Don't live your life as though no one sees you or no one hears you. There is no far country you can go to to get beyond the eyes and ears of God. That's true. Amen. The way you treat people. You don't talk about them just because they can't hear you and don't know what you're saying. You don't do things to them just because they won't find out and see who's responsible. Fear God. Treat each other as if God is present because he is. He is omnipresent. There's no place that you can go to get away from him. Psalms 139.7 says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. God's everywhere. There is no place that we can go and not be seen, not be heard. But instead, he said, fear God. Walk in his fear. Now, we long for the presence of God. And when I say that, people say, well, you're always, you always have God's presence. What I'm talking about is the manifested presence. There's a difference. Yes, God is everywhere, but there are times that he manifests his presence. Like when they dedicated the temple and the glory of God filled the temple. Well, what is that? It's the manifested presence of God. And when his manifested presence is there, it's just different. You can go through your day and your mind is on everything. It's on all kinds of things. And you have responsibilities and things that you must do. But brother, I'm going to tell you right now, if God manifests his presence, all of that escapes your mind. And the Bible says a lot of times when his presence would be manifested, they would fall on their face before him. So it's easy to fear God in his manifested presence. In fact, if God manifests his presence in, in some ways, you can't help but fear him. You're going to fall down. It's like we, we are, one of the disciples did that. When Jesus calmed the sea and he, he fell, he said, depart from me for I am a wicked man. What is he saying? I don't deserve to be in your presence. You are so holy and so awesome. I don't deserve to be in your presence. Depart from me because I'm too wicked to be in your presence. When God manifests his presence, a lot of times we feel that way. Like, oh, God, we're glad to be there, but, man, I, I, I want to feel his presence. I want to respect him. If we fear the omnipresence of God, you will long for the manifested presence of God. Do you understand this? If I am living as if God sees me all the time and he hears me all the time, therefore, I'm going to live in such a way that it will please him. When he sees me and hears me. If I will respect him when I don't feel him. How many of you know there's times in your life you don't feel God? Sometimes you even question, is there even, is there, is there, is there a God? You don't sense him, but you live in such a way as he sees me and he hears me. Then you will long for the manifested presence of God. That's the kind of attitude that makes you say, man, I want to be in church on Sunday. I want to be there when we start singing praises to him and when we can, whew, how many of you been in here and you have felt the presence of God? 
All right. Well, did you know that same presence was around you all week? What's the difference? One is manifested. The other was not. He's there. He's just not manifested. So if we honor and fear the omnipresence of God, we will long for the manifested presence of God. We'll be like Moses. Remember the children of Israel, they said the mountain was quaking and there's lightning and thunder. And they said, you go talk to God. We're not going to talk to God. And they drew back away from God. And Moses went up on the mountain and talked to God. Why? Because their hearts were evil. Their hearts were wicked. And when you're in sin, it makes you draw away from God. Moses honored God. He respected God so he could go and talk to him. So be aware of his presence. The second thing. The reason that he went to a far country is he knew what the expectations were. Be aware of God's expectations. We need to know what God expects from us. That's why it's so important to read his word, to know what God wants you to do. This young man deliberately broke his father's commandments. In verse 21, it says, And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer to be worthy to be called your son. Well, how did he know he had sinned? Because he knew what his father expected. This is a Jewish boy. He grew up under the law. He knew the commandments. He knew to honor his father and mother. And he knew that going out and spending his money on rowdiest living on harlots, he's visiting prostitutes. Spending all of his money on prostitutes and, and being a drunkard. He knew that was wrong. And so he says, I've sinned against you. He knew what the expectations were, but he deliberately disobeyed them. Church, if we know what God expects from us and we deliberately don't do it, we're just like this boy. We're ashamed and we draw back from God and we're, we don't want to be in his presence because we know that... Yes, Ananias and Sapphire tried that. Thank God he is more merciful today than he was in the, in the beginning of the church. Amen. How many dead carcasses would we be carrying out of the church if he dealt with us like he did with Ananias and Sapphira? Now, we can play dumb if we want to. But church, if you're born of the Spirit, you know what is expected of you. Even a brand new Christian knows when he is sinning. And we can play the dumb card. Well, I didn't know. Yes, you do. Because the Holy Spirit is in you to convict you. How many times are we saying, well, is it a sin to do thus and so? If you have to ask. <laughs> Come on, church. Yeah. If you have to ask. Then it's probably something you shouldn't do. John said, Jesus said in John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is. To your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. Church, even people that say they don't believe in God, they know what sin is. Come on, they know. We can make excuses for it, but they know. Number three, be wise of the choices that you make. Verse 13, it says, and not many days after this, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. The Bible says reckless. The, the King James says riotous living. It means reckless and wasteful living. Let me ask you this morning. What are you living for? What are you living for? I think that's what God was saying this morning when uh, Sister Alex came up and said, you know, we, we need to give it all to God. What are you living for? Are the choices that you're making dictated by respect and honor for God who sees and hears everything? Jeannie and I were talking about this just a couple weeks ago. We were talking about the way we relate to our father, our earthly father. You know, man, I was scared to death of my dad. Because I knew I was a bad little boy, man. And I knew if he caught me and knew what I was doing, I was going to get it, boy. And I did get it. I got it a lot. <clears throat> I was a devilish little thing, man. God forgive me. I gave mom and dad a hard time, man. I remember one time mama gave me a whipping. Daddy got home. He gave me one, too. I got a double portion. I was the youngest. 
I'd skip school. That was second grade. Fuzz talked me into it, though, my neighbor. I would have had a perfect attendance that year. Let me tell you something. When you're in the second grade and you skip school, that's the most boring day. We're through playing by lunchtime. We didn't have no lunch. We're on our way to the bus stop. He says, let's just stay home today. I'm like, all right. So we hid out in the trail. The neighbor saw us and ratted on us. Larry Lindsay ratted on me, too. That's a kid that rides the bus with me. I caught him in the trail. I made him regret ratting on me, brother. But I, but I mean, that was a devilish little thing. And uh, I made a bad choice there. I, 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 I feared my dad in that way. But Jeannie said, there was a lot of things I would not do because I didn't want to disappoint my dad. Are you hearing me, church? The respect that she had for her father kept her from doing a lot of things that she could have and would have done. I didn't want to, dis I didn't want to disappoint my dad. That's the kind of fear we should have, the respect and awe for God. There's things that I should do that I'm going to do because I don't want to disappoint my father. There's things that I should not do that I'm not going to do because I don't want to disappoint my father. Because he sees and he hears. Anything I do, he's going to know it. We get so upset about things, don't we? We get so upset about things. But when we stop and really boil it all down, do they have any eternal value? The things that we get so upset about. Are we living with the fear of God? The last thing is be certain of the consequences you will receive. Verse 14, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land. Are you seeing this? There arose a severe famine in that land. And he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he went into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. Now I want you to look at this. This is the judgment on him. Famine. Famine is always the judgment of God. Rain and, and crops and crops yielding their their abundance that's the blessing of god man i've got a pumpkin patch you wouldn't believe at the house gary you got to come by and see these things man i'm standing waist deep in pumpkin plants i don't know what i'm gonna do with all those pumpkins i just decided i was gonna plant some stuff this year i've never planted it before i've got a whole row of pumpkins a whole row of watermelons a row of cantaloupes a row of corn and some sweet taters but i got pumpkins this big already that's, that's the blessing of God, man. I'm praying, God, I need some rain. And my neighbor said, can you, can you get some? He, he's asked me this before. He said, can you get some rain? I said, I got connections upstairs. <laughs> what kind of rain do you want? He said, I need a good, slow, drizzling rain. I said, well, I, I might can muster you up a thunderstorm, but now I'm going to have to work on the drizzling. <laughs> I did that one time. He, he, he cuts hay. This is the truth. He cuts hay, and he's like, it was dry. I mean, famine is a curse. It's dry. He's got all the, he must have 300 cows he's got to feed. He's like, man, I need some rain. I said, well, I can get you some rain. He's like, really? I said, of course. I'll pray and God will send you some rain. It rained for two weeks. I'm serious. It started raining. It set in rain for two weeks. I saw him coming out the driveway. I walked out. I said, can I stop praying for rain now? I'm trying to get him in church. I'm trying to convince him that God's for real, you know. And He's softening up. Bless God. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him before he dies. Amen. Amen. Believe with me, right? Amen. But famine, it said there was famine in that land. Now, I want you to see this. When he got home, where was his older brother? In the field. Well, he wasn't out there for a walk. He's out there checking on his crops. Now, it doesn't say that, but I, I believe that's true. Why else would he be in the field? He's working on his harvest. The, the famine wasn't everywhere. It was on him and on his life. Church, if, if, if everything's going wrong in your life, you need, I'm not saying it's always the judgment of God, but I need to back up and say, man, am I, I better double check this thing. Is there famine in my life? Everybody else seems to be getting blessed. Yeah. What's going on in my life, you know? And it may not be that. It's not always that. Sometimes it's God just working in you, through you, something out of you. But sometimes it's because, man, there's some things in my heart I need to deal with. God blesses his people. Look at Joseph when he went to Egypt. What happened? Egypt prospered. 
Look at Jacob when he went to Laban, his cousin. What happened? Man, all of a sudden, Jacob's sheep and goats, man, they start having babies left and right. And he's like, man, God, God's blessing is on this guy. And what did he say? I'll bless them that bless you. So he starts blessing Jacob. And man, he's just prospering. And then he don't want him to go back home. He's like, no, you're leaving? No, don't leave. Why? Because the blessing of God was on him. He prospered. Daniel, I mean, you just go down the list. Says he joined himself to a citizen of that country, became a servant to that citizen. Now, what, what is he doing? This is a Jewish boy. Now he's working for a Gentile. They had no use for the Gentiles. They hated pigs. They hated Gentiles even more. To them, there was nothing on earth lower than a pig, unless it's a Gentile. But he's having to work for this Gentile. Let me tell you something, what sin will do for you. Sin will put you in a place where you have to do some of the most degrading, unthinkable things imaginable. To a Jewish boy to feed pigs, there's nothing more degrading than that. Working for a Gentile, he's feeding swine. The deepest conceivable degradation what do I say? And I hope you get this. I hope you can recite it. And I hope you understand it. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. It will always keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will always, always cost you more than you want to pay. You hear me, church? Take you further than you want to go. Keep you longer than you want to stay. Cost you more than you want to pay. Always. And that's true in this boy's life. And it says that no one gave him anything. He didn't have anything to eat. Said he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods. The, the pods, it was actually just a bean pod that they would give to the pigs during famine. It was, it, there was nothing. It was bitter. It tasted nasty. But he didn't have anything to eat. He would have ate what pigs are eating. He had to get down in the slop. He's down in their poop, their urine. Sin is disgusting, and it takes you to disgusting places. And if you do not respect and obey God's law, it will always bring judgment. The father blessed him. He squandered the blessing. He squandered the blessing. And I want you to see something. His dad had nothing to do with that. What did his father do for him? He gave him a blessing. What he did with it brought the judgment. A lot of times we get angry at God when things go wrong. Like God did that to me. No, God didn't do that to you. You did that to yourself. Are you hearing me, church? Dad didn't have a thing to do with that. That boy did that to himself. He warns you the wages of sin is death. And when people start reaping the death and the curse of their actions, they want to get mad at God as if he did something. No, he didn't do anything. He blessed you with eternal life. He said the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God yes. its eternal life. I give you eternal life. And what do you do with it? You go out and squander it on prodigal living. And then when you find yourself eating with pigs, want to get mad at God. I've seen this. Have you seen this? You know what I'm talking about. People want to get mad at God, blame God. Well, why did God let this happen to me? Well, if you're a drunkard and sleeping with harlots, it's, you're eating with pigs. It's not God's fault. The older son's not living that kind of a life. He got the same blessing, but he honored his father. And he's living in the, the, the blessings of honoring God. Because God will not bless sin. God can't bless sin. And people that live deliberately disobeying God's law, sooner or later, they will face the consequences. It will not fail. We see people, they get, I've seen this, church. People backslide, they go into the world, and there's, it's never been so good. See it on Facebook, don't you? Oh, we're so lovely, in love with each other, and this and that and the other thing. Just give it time. I've never seen it fail. Just give it time. God will not be mocked for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You can't sow sin and reap blessing. You can't. If you sow sin, you're going to eat with pigs. But if you will honor God, you will be blessed. 
If that's not true, then God's a liar. And I'm just going to close the book and go do something else. Amen? If we walk in the fear of God and honor him, I want you to look at this. Verse 29. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. This is the older son now. Because he sees little brother come home. He's like, they're throwing him a party? Because we can do this as a church now. They're throwing him a party? They're rejoicing over this person coming into the church and they're making a big to-do over it? I've known that person all their life. And they're not somebody to be making a to-do over. They're vile and nasty. I know all that. And they're throwing him a party? And so he's upset. So he's, he answers his father says, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandments at any time. Sound like he's reverencing his dad. Amen. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friend. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Now look at what his father said. And I want you to get this. This is the key verse in the entire story in my mind. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. Are you hearing this, church? If you're here this morning and you live with the fear of God where you honor him and you respect him and you love him and you want to please him, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, church, I want you to get this. If you're living with the fear of God, that reverent fear of God, God is always with you and you're always with him. There's an intimate relationship with God. And everything that he has, it's yours. In other words, son, that fatted calf, it's yours. You can go kill it anytime you want to. Call your friends in. Have a party. Enjoy the substance of my blessing that I gave it to you. I gave it to you to enjoy in the right way. Amen? Amen. Some people are so, so legalistic that they almost make it a sin to enjoy your life. Church, God gave us these things to enjoy. Yes. Is it wrong for me to have a boat and go fishing? Absolutely not. Brother, I get out there. I praise God on the water. I praise him in church. I praise him where I'm at. And I'm out there just enjoying myself. Is it wrong? No. Why? Because that's God's boat. Are you hearing me? That's God's boat. And he lets me use it anytime I want to. That's God's Honda shadow. I get on it and I ride, man. It's the closest thing to flying without leaving the earth. And I love it. I do. I always have, you know. And it's, and it's good. He says, son, everything that I've got is yours. It's all yours. You're always with me. Because you honor me and respect me. Now, if you go out and say, well, I can go spend it on booze, get drunk, and have harlots. Oh, no, no, no. You need to know his expectations. Don't take what I'm saying and run with it and, and say stuff I didn't say. Amen? Sometimes we overlook this, this son, you know, that was respectful to his dad. He's overlooked. And a lot of times we feel like we're overlooked. I mean, you've been in, you've been in church all your life. You serve God faithfully all your life. You love the Lord. You've been obedient to the Lord. And here comes this heathen in that gets saved after they used to be in church, but they backslid, and now they come back, and everybody's, woohoo! They come back to Jesus, man, and they're booking them in youth events and giving them an opportunity to give their testimony. And people filling up stadiums to hear the testimony, this scum dog that come up out of the gutter, and Jesus saved him. And you're like, I've been faithful to God all my life. What is the big whoop about this guy who did all that vile stuff? We can think like that, can't we? Come on now. But if you back up to verse 7, before he starts talking about the prodigal son, look at what he said in verse 7. Because he's talking about the, a man that has 100 sheep, and one goes astray, he leaves the 99, and he goes out and finds the one. And when he finds it, he puts it on his neck, and he goes home, he calls all his friends together and says, Rejoice with me, because the lamb that was lost is found. And this is what he says, and I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents 
than over the 99 just persons who need no repentance. So that's proper. That's okay. I mean, we would, when we start looking at that and saying, well, they got what they deserved. Whew, brother, you better be careful with that. Yeah. You hear me? If your heart's not breaking for them and bad things is happening, well, they deserved it. You better be careful with that because your heart's not right. If, if I'm reading this right, heaven's rejoicing over that sinner coming back. And so the dad says, it's, it's proper that we rejoice over your brother. He was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost. Don't you understand? That's your little brother. He was lost, but he's found. You should rejoice. But he's missing the whole point. And this is the point we, we need to get. We've walked in the fear of God. We need to realize, man, God's blessings, they're ours. Yeah. We're always with God, and everything that he has, it's ours. Because you're always with me. Amen? You're always with me, and all that I have is yours. How many of you want to walk in the fear of God like that? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? The worship team, if you'd come, please. Praise God. Whew. Lord, we want to walk in your fear, God. Lord, I started this series asking you, Jesus, teach us what it means to fear you. And Lord, this morning, I, I really wanted to stress that point, God, that you see us all the time, God. You hear us all the time. And we need to live our life like you hear and see everything that I say, everything that I do. There's no death here. There's no blind eye. And I need to live my life that way. So teach us this morning, God. Now, Father, I pray for those under the sound of my voice, whether they're here in the sanctuary, Lord, whether they're listening on the Internet, whether somebody's giving them a copy of this sermon through our media production, Lord, that we consider our ways, God. Are we aware of your presence, Lord? Are we aware of your expectations, God? Are we making wise choices, Father? Do we realize the consequences of our actions, God, that we can receive judgment or we can receive your blessing? So, Lord, help us this morning to consider these things. In the name of Jesus, amen. <clears throat> Let me just ask you this morning, to which one of the sons would you most compare? You know how you're living. Are you living your life as if God sees and hears everything? And because of that, what you do, the conversations that you have, your reactions to people, the way you treat your spouse, the way you treat your children, your coworkers, people in general, are you treating the way in such a way that God would be pleased with what you say and what you do? Are you putting stumbling blocks in front of the blind? Cursing the death? Or are you honoring God? Would you be compared more to the younger son who disobeyed his God, his father, even though he knew what was expected of him? Or the older son that says, I've been with you always, father. I have never transgressed your law at any time. Wow. God, help us today to be a person that can say, I've been with you always, God. I've never transgressed your law at any time. Lord, help us to be like that. Do you long to be in his presence? Come on, you know what's in your heart. Sunday morning when people are assembling themselves together, is it just like something I'll work in if I can? Or is it something you long for? And you, you look forward to that. Or you draw back because you're afraid of God. It's really being, un you're uncomfortable being in the house of God because, wow, I know, man, I know what I'm doing is not right. I know what I did last night, Friday or Thursday or Wednesday or Tuesday or Monday. Nobody else knows, but I know. Well, God knows too. But here's the good news. See, when that boy came home, his dad could have said, well, son, that's all well and good, but I've heard fine speeches before. 
You get out there in the field. You buckle down. You work as hard as you can. You work like you've never worked before. And if we really see, I mean, we really see that you really, really mean it, then we might just let you come back. But you need to know, boy, you need to know you can never make good the damage you've done on our family name. The dad didn't do that, did he? The Bible says he ran out to meet him. Call the servants. Says, put my robe on him. Put my ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Go kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a feast. See, Jesus doesn't treat sinners like the first example I gave. He opens his arms and he says, I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been sleeping. I don't care who made your bed. I have already died to set you free. There is no sin you can imagine that is stronger than my love. And it's all yours if you'll just come home to me. You need to know this morning, no matter what you've done, Jesus has already made a way for you to be forgiven, for that to be cleansed and blotted out, never to be remembered again against you. So which son would you compare to this morning? Are you living in the fear of God? Or are you living afraid of God? So if you just close your eyes this morning, I'm, gonna, I'm concluding this series this morning. But church, I have appealed to you for three Sundays now. Walk in the fear of God. Live your life according to his commandment. And his blessing will follow you. And I've warned you over and over again that if you live in deliberate sin against God, judgment will come. It's just a matter of time. So if you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, the words that you're saying, it's cutting right into my heart because I know my life is not right with God. I'm going to ask you, please don't leave this place this morning and carry that sin back out the door. You can know the blessing and the peace of God. And brother, there is no peace on earth like that. There is no joy on earth like that. And it's all yours if you just come to Christ. So if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm not living right. I'm not living my life for God, but I want to change that this morning. I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat and come to the altar this morning and just give it to God. I'm not going to ask you to stay where you're at, raise your hand, pray for you. This is something I want you to do between you and God. Would you do that this morning? Make a decision for the Lord. While we close in prayer, I'm going to stay here. I'll be glad to pray with you this evening, this morning before we leave. Father, I pray this morning in the name of Jesus for every person that has heard this message that they will give it all to you. Father, during our worship time, you spoke through a word of knowledge and said you need to give it all to me. Don't walk out the door and walk right back to your sin. Don't be a slave to sin. Whether it's big or whether it's small. You said we need to give it to you this morning. So, Lord, I pray for every person that they will make that decision, God. Make wise choices. Father, you have given us a gift. It was your son, Jesus Christ. He hung on a cross and endured the suffering and pain that I deserved. The question is, what are we going to do with the gift that the Father has given us? Are we going to go out and disregard and just live our life like the prodigal? Or are we always going to be in your presence and never transgress your law at any time? God, I pray for every person that they will make that choice today. And be able to walk in the blessings of knowing you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. God, I thank you that we can have that peace and that joy this morning. I pray every person would find that in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, I bless your people, God. 
I bless their home, Father. May it be a refuge, God, an escape from the world, Lord, a place where your spirit is welcome, where you are honored, God, where your spirit is honored, Lord, a place where people treat each other right, God, restore relationships, God. If there is brokenness in the home, God, I pray that you heal that broken home. Relationships between husbands and their wives, parents and their children, siblings, one with each other. Bring healing, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvaag.org or call 804-514-2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.